You are listening to the Tricer Podcast, where we talk all things hunting, gear, and the great outdoors. Before we begin, let's start things out right and put God first. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Tricer, and I ask that you can use this podcast as a way to bring joy to all of our listeners. We lay Tricer and this podcast at your feet. Amen. Brent Vogler, welcome to the Tricer Podcast. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Drew. Thanks for having me on. I feel pretty special. Guest number three here, huh? Oh, uh, yeah. You're going to be, you're definitely in the top, top of the list here. Awesome. So um, tell me, tell me about yourself. Who are you? Who's Brent Vogler? Yeah. So I am a independent sales rep in Texas in the outdoor hunting and shooting industry. Uh, I'm a Christian. I'm a husband. I'm a small group leader, salesman, outdoorsman thankful to be able to work in an industry that, that I'm really passionate about. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I'm, I'm 31. I've been working in this industry for nine, eight years now, and it's pretty fun. So I get to meet a lot of cool people like yourself and, and you know, go on a few cool trips every now and again and, and sell some really cool products in the meantime. So yeah, I, that's, that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. I have led the same small group for 16 years this year. Good for you, man. So I've Good had the you. same Bible study. I did a I did a year of Bible college coming out of high school, and I was planning on going to ministry. Then I decided I wanted to do business, so I just did business. <laughs> I, I like uh, entrepreneurship too much. I might I, I still kick around going into ministry at some point in my life full time. But my wife and I are definitely have ministries. You know, three days, four days a week, youth groups. We t- I do a high school group. She does a junior high group. Then we do all the camps, and then we also have our Bible study we've had forever. So yeah, we we love the Lord. I'm stoked to have you on here and talk about it. I love that's one thing I like about the hunting industry. It's like very like-minded people, right? It yeah. is. And it, you know, you can, you know, I think that the outdoors is a fantastic way to share that ministry. You know, I was talking to one of my coworkers. I just got back from a, a high country mule deer hunt last week and it, you know, you're standing at the top of a, a 13,000 foot mountain looking out at the beauty and it's like, how can you not be a believer seeing all this? There's, there's a greater power at work here. And I think that it's a great avenue to introduce people, not only to the outdoors, but to, to the Lord. So it's, it's, it's yeah. cool to those two work hand in hand. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So you're in the outdoor industry. You are, you're on the inside, you're an insider. So what, what do you like, what you're, you own a hunting company or what do you do? You rep companies? What is it you guys do? Yeah. So I'm a manufacturer sales rep. I'm an independent sales rep. So, you know, I have a a specific territory that I work within, which is North Texas. And I work with accounts, dealers, box stores, farm and fleet stores. And, and, you know, it's like you go into any gun store, any grocery store, you go into a different hospital and, and those businesses have certain products that they like and that they sell. And, you know, I'm the guy that goes in and tries to foster those relationships and sell products for manufacturers to those stores. So that it's a very relationship-driven industry. And so, you know, my job is to go and see these mom and pop shops or these box stores on a, a daily, weekly basis, monthly basis, and try to take up sell- shelf space. And you know, I'm wearing my Browning polo right now, as you can see. So I, Browning is one of the brands that I sell for currently. I've, like I said earlier, I've been in the industry for about eight years now, and I've sold everything from solar panels to socks, to boots, to guns, you name it. So that's, that's one of the cool things about being an independent. If I'm passionate about the product and I'm a believer in the product and can foster a relationship with that company, 
then, you know, I can go sell for them. And I work on a commission only basis. So, you know, I get up every morning and, and go sell to pay my electric bill. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of what I do. So Browning, I'll tell you what, man, I got my kid one of those Hell's Canyon rifles. Yep. It's a 308. And I have some pretty expensive high-end like custom built rifles. I love the feel of that Hell's Canyon. It has a McMillan stock on it and it's mm-hmm. like overmolded. It is just a great shooting, super it's not super light. It's like probably that seven pound range. I feel like it's the perfect backcountry rifle. I love that rifle. I'm glad to hear it, it. We're we're proud of that rifle. The uh, so the Hell's Canyon was a camo pattern actually for us uh, for a long time, kind of a brand in and of itself. So that's since gone away. We've introduced the Ovix camo pattern pattern and the Auric camo pattern. So our waterfowl camo pattern is is the Auric and then the vintage tan, which is we can't keep those guns in stock. And then the Ovix is kind of our big game pattern. And the Speed series, which which you're talking about, kind of replaced the Hell's Canyon about two years ago, is a barn burner of a gun for us. We can't keep the gun in stock. They shoot lights out for the money. You know, they retail for they're a little over a thousand, eleven, little less than eleven hundred dollars. Yeah. I think ten fifty nine or so is is retail on them. You can find them, you know, street price for around a thousand bucks. But in that price point, it is one of the best bangs for your buck in the industry. You know, we we came out with the 6.8 Western a couple of years ago. That's been a fantastic caliber for us and, and super, super popular. So, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're a fan of, of the Hell's Canyon. That speed rifle is a, is a fantastic gun for us. Yeah, his has got a like a black and blue and there's like some flames on it stock. It's, I think it's an older model, but I got it from uh-huh. the gun shop and it's just trick, man. And it's just a really cool gun. You kind of like when I first started buying rifles, I was like, I'm buying these $400 rifles. And then you quickly realize that if you just spend a little bit more, but you don't have to go buy the super high end rifles. But some of these production rifles, like from Browning and some other companies, in that $1,000 range are just great shooting rifles. I mean, for what we're doing in hunting situations, I mean, he shot a mule deer at 400 yards a couple years ago at 13 years old. Yep. One shot, one shot, one kill down and just dialed him in and pulled the trigger, you know, and he killed it. It's That's just a, a really good gun. Proud dad moment for you, I'm sure. Oh yeah! After that week, I'm gonna—I had him on the podcast. I got to post that up. But I mean, after that week of just misery and having him kill that buck, it was—it was pretty awesome. It was definitely a proud dad moment. That's for sure. So, besides Browning, you sell like the Trigicon. Who else do you sell? So I rep for EOTech. I work EOTech. I rep for uh, Prometheus Group, which is Browning Trail Cameras. So they're a licensee partner for us. I do Slow Glow. They uh, make the best, you know, down here in Texas, we have a huge hog problem. They make the best hog lights for feeders. They make some great solar panels and, and trail camera mounts. I do discrete ballistics, which is a fantastic supercellus subsonic ammunition. I do, let's see, what, what other products do I rep? I, it it kind of, so I'll be honest with you, Drew, it kind of changes in and out. Like I said, it's a relationship driven business, but Browning and EOTech are, are definitely big ones. Slow Glow. I do Tecto Knives. That's a new one for us. Tecto Knives is awesome. It's, you know, super fast, kind of automatic out the front knife. They make some flippers as well. So yeah, right now I've got five brands that I, that I represent in my territory and I've had up to 20 at a time. So it's, it kind of comes and goes as they say. Gotcha. Yeah, the EOTech stuff is pretty slick. It's kind of more tactical driven, correct? Like a little bit more higher power scopes. We uh, we specialize in in what's called holographic weapon sights, HWS. So 
you know, there's a lot of confusion in the industry around a red dot versus what we actually are, which is a hologram. You know, the, the best way I can describe it is Star Wars technology. You know, you see Obi-Wan Kenobi floating out there in front of you in the reticle. And, and we have that. You can actually break the glass in an EOTech and it'll still function. You know, they're, they're issued across military platforms around the world, trusted by law enforcement agencies. They're kind of bulletproof type, built the bulletproof type design. And we got into the, the long range optics, kind of PRS, tactical sniper type shooting optics a few years ago with the Voodoo line. And most of the optics are higher magnifications. They're they're built a little heavier, but man, they're they're bulletproof too. They they kind of don't fail. They're fantastic optics. But hunting in the backcountry, kind of doing what you and I do, we do have a couple of options that fulfill those those gaps. But it's it's leans more towards the tactical side, and that's kind of nice about what I do as an independent rep is I can call on the standard mom and pop shops and sell them browning and then i can go call on the the tactical type shops and sell them eotech and so having a diverse portfolio you know like like i do i can go call on multiple types of stores and you know increase my revenue stream so great so how'd you get into hunting what's your background in hunting so i grew up in west texas you know hunting deer blinds deer feeders it's not a challenge and so as i got a little bit older I started getting into archery hunting, hanging tree stands at a property that we had and really fell in love with kind of the challenge of the hunt. I had lots of failures getting into archery as a kid. I picked up a bow when I was 14 and I was obsessed with hunting as a kid. I still am obsessed with the outdoors. I I fly fish. I I love saltwater fishing. I love wing shooting. I've got a, a German short hair pointer. So we do a lot of bird hunting, but uh, where I really dove into hunting and found your product and, and really kind of found a passion for Western style hunting is when my wife and I started dating in college. I joke that I married into a family. My father-in-law is kind of like my professional guide by marriage per se. So my wife and her family are from Colorado and he is a huge big game hunter. He's he shot multiple bighorn sheep, mountain goats, you know, doing it the right way too. public land, DIY, putting in for tags and, you know, plenty of mule deer, plenty of big elk. And so when we started dating and, you know, he figured out that she was going to keep me around more than just a, a temporary boyfriend, he started getting me to put in for some tags with him. And I got my first dose just over the counter second season rifle with him probably, you know, nine or 10 years ago. And just fell in love with it. I, I shot my first elk four years ago. It was a cow and with a muzzle loader. Had a fantastic time. Got bit by the, the the mountain bug and took my first bull two years ago. I've shot a few pronghorns since then and, and a few mule deer. And so, you know, the reason I work out, I joke with everybody at my gym doing CrossFit is that, you know, the only reason I'm here is to stay in shape for Colorado every year. So that's kind of how I got into the hunting that I'm at now is is marrying into it. So I felt pretty blessed to to marry into that. Yeah, I think when people go Western Big Game hunting, they either love it or they hate it, right? So I've never done the sit over a feeder thing, which is real popular in Texas. I'm not knocking it. I would do it. Like if somebody, if I want to go to Texas and go hunt a feeder, I'll, I'd go do it. Sure, why not? But some people like that. They want to be in a nice cozy cabin, mm-hmm. get up and be in a you know a warm truck, drive to the blind, sit in the blind with a little buddy heater going, you know, and some coffee, yep. and, right? And then other guys, you know, like me, just 
want to be miserable. <laughs> you know, well, that's, that's what we joked have that, about. Have, have that experience. Exactly. We joked about that last week. Of uh, there's, a, there's an episode on King of the Hill where, uh, you know, the guy says, no, no, no agony, no bragony. And, you know, you, you, it's just so much more rewarding when you suffer a little bit. There's, it seems like that, that bell curve, you know, risk versus reward is so much higher when the conditions are a little tougher and it kind of sucks a little bit. You know, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you, Drew. Last week was kind of miserable. It rained for five days, and I, I don't think I had a dry pair of underwear by the end of the week. So, <laughs> oh man, I've actually heard. Were you running that Browning Browning rain gear? I was, man. I was running the. I've heard it's yeah. It's so it's Gore-Tex. It's you know top of the line stuff. It works great. I learned a lot on that hunt. And, you know, PSA for all you people out there that have rain gear, you have to treat your rain gear. If you wash it and you dry it, you need to retreat it with DWR because it will get wet eventually. But yeah, it held up. It did great. I was more than happy with, you know, there, there's nothing better than being a user of the product and, and walking away and it meeting all of your expectations. That's, that's what makes what I do really fun. I have never washed my rain gear. I just pressure wash that thing off when I get home and, and throw, it in the, throw it in my hunting box. That's it. I've never washed it. Yeah. Even washing yeah. my, even like my puppies and stuff. I don't really want, I'll hand wash them maybe once a season, twice a season. Okay. Like I, I just try and keep, everything's so delicate, you know. It is. It is. A lot of people got into the, the scent stuff, you know, the scent killer type game years ago. And so I think I've got some scent killer laundry wash that I always, you know, I come home with you know, blood stains on my jacket or whatever else. And so I'll throw it in the wash with that stuff. But yeah, retreating your rain gear is very important, people. Make sure that you, you get you some DWR or new buck or whatever and, and retreat that stuff. Yeah, I haven't really done the sense because when you're hunting out west, it really doesn't matter. You're just playing the wind, right? Because it's just like you're going to sweat and stink within, you know, 15 minutes of leaving the truck. But one thing I do for my stuff is for blood, I can use hydrogen peroxide a little bit. That'll pull it mm-hmm. out. And then also, I love using the OxyClean. I'll put it in a, in a in the cooler or a bucket. I use OxyClean for my game bag, so I don't use bleach. Our game bags are orange too, by the way. So use use OxyClean on it. But you put yeah. that you put your stuff like your pa- bloody pants into a five gallon bucket or a cooler with some a scoop of OxyClean, and I swear it pulls all the blood out of it. You just rinse it by hand and then wash it, throw it in the washer real quick, and you're done. Yeah, so Oxy OxyClean OxyClean is a great way to get the blood out. So tell me about like you like what's some of your first hunts? You have sure so like some of your your buck fever issues, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's I I suffer from the buck fever bug bad. I've never been able to get over it. And I you know, you hear people say all the time, you lose that and you know, it's just not as fun anymore. And I and I've fortunately I've never lost that and I, I don't know where where it comes from. I've had it ever since I was a little kid. You know, I think my dad and mom have stories about sitting in the deer blind with me and you know, I'm shaking so bad. I, you know, I shoot the feeder instead of the deer, like three or four feet high. So I shot my first deer when I was seven years old, I believe. We had a fantastic deer lease and, you know, it's your typical Texas deer lease. You've got feeders and deer blinds. And, you know, back then you had the game cameras with a Kodak film film that you actually had to go get developed. So it was like Christmas morning every time you, you know, went to Walgreens or CVS to go pick up your your game camera photos. And, you know, half the time it's just pictures of weeds you're going through. It's the brush, yeah. you know, setting the sensor off. But yeah, so I grew up hunting, you know, as a, as a young kid sleeping in the deer blind at the feet of my dad or my mom as, as we hunted. We would always uh, whitetail hunt. I grew up quail hunting, grew up dove hunting. And so, 
you know, I, I've always been an outdoor. I was very blessed and very fortunate to grow up on, on a farm or, you know, a piece of property. And my very first gun, actually, when I was a kid was Browning BL-22 that my, that my mom and dad gave my brother and I for Christmas when we were kids. And I still have it today. I've shot probably thousands of birds with that little short stroke, you know, 22. It is a fantastic gun. I love it. And so, yeah, you know, introduced to hunting is a really early age and yeah, buck fever, man. It's, it's real. I still get it today, you know, 20 something years later. And when I shot my mule deer last week, my buddy was, he was joking because I couldn't, I was shaking so bad. I couldn't get my, my rod back in the rod holder after, you know, after oh, it was muzzle. You're, you're muzzle yeah, anything this week. Okay. I, I, I was, I was. Yeah. So it's, I, I, I still archery hunt. I love archery hunting. Muzzle loading though, it's just, it seems to be the, the areas that we hunt in Colorado, it seems to line up a little bit better with the elk rut. You know, I can, I've kind of got it down where I can draw a, every third year a tag. So I'll draw an antelope tag one year and then I'll draw a mule deer tag the next year and then I'll draw a elk tag the next year. And, and it's pretty cool because I can kind of count on a tag every, every second or third year with muzzleloader, whereas, you know, as a non-resident of Colorado, if I were to be rifle hunting, even, even archery hunting in some areas, it could take me, you know, five, six, seven years to draw a tag. So muzzle loading is still one of those kind of really cool ordeals where I can get a tag within a few years and hunt some pretty good areas and, you know, have an opportunity to get some, some good animals. Yeah, no kidding, man. I had seven, they got me with the, they reduced the tag limits in an area because of all the winter kill, but I had seven points. I'm sure I was going to draw a rifle tag and it just didn't happen. Yeah. How about muzzleloader? Shameless plug for my buddy, Jeff Clemens. He owns muzzleloaders.com. Okay. And so, I mean, they are like one of the largest online retailers for muzzleloaders, anything muzzleloaders you want. What? And this is a great company. You're owned by conservatives up there in Oregon. Great dudes. What are you shooting for muzzleloader? I'm shooting an old CVA. So the company yeah. that I that I rep through, one of the guys used to rep CVA back in the day. He had a, a gun that he held on to. He got out of muzzleloading hunting several years ago, but I shoot a CVA Acura. It's, to be honest, Drew, it's probably you know, 10 years old, but it, it works fantastically. I, I shoot, shoot it pretty well. You know, if you ask my father-in-law, he might say differently, but I, I think I shoot it pretty well for me going just once a year, you know, pulling it out of the safe once a year and, and shooting it, it, it does just great. So, you know, the, the States that we're muzzle loading in are primitive States. So you're not allowed to have optics. You've got to have, you know, open sites you can't have sabots. And so it works out perfect, man. You, you know, dump the powder in, put your power belt in and, you know, put the old iron, iron sights on it. And, and hopefully when the smoke clears, you got a down animal. <laughs> yeah. So I'm running the, the same gun. Okay. And then I'm running, it's like a stainless one, it's like 500 bucks, some four or 500 bucks. And then I got the globe sights. Have you, have you ran the globe sights yet? Yeah. So I'm using the, I'm using the Williams and. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the crosshair in the front. Yep. Yeah. It's yep, slick, man. It has, it has the height measurements. And then for my bullets, my same guy who owns muzzleloaders.com also owns Thor Bullets, and they're a non-saboed copper bullet. Correct. And they are, they are super accurate, and they are a great bullet. So if you're looking for a good bullet, man, those those Thor Bullets are awesome. And they self they have a cavity, so they self-expand to pressurize, so you don't need yep. a sabo. And then they just are very, very accurate. Yep. So yeah, yep. check, check my, those uh, out my, too. My buddy was shooting Thor this year, so I didn't I didn't order mine in time to to get mine in. But yes, he was running the Thors this year and really liked them. He he found that they were 
you know, a little bit more inherently accurate than, than some of the other bullets out there and, and was really happy with the performance. So, you know, non-shameless plug to Thor bullets as well. Yeah. And then are you running, I'm running the white hot pellets. Are you running pellets or are you running powder? Powder. I'm running powder. Like, like with a black horn or what are you running? Well, so that's, <laughs> I tried to switch to black horn this year. So I'm shooting Winchester triple seven and it's a pretty dirty powder. I've, I hate having to clean my gun every, you know, every other Second shot. shot. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> I never realized until I shot a muzzleloader how dirty those dang things get. I, dude, and I feel like I, you know, need to go get my lungs checked after, after I shoot it, after, you know, all the white smoke clears. And my buddy started, he got a muzzleloader. He's actually my coworker. He, he covers South Texas, Darren. So he was shooting Thor bullets and he was shooting Blackhorn powder. And I was amazed at how much cleaner his gun was um, when we were shooting it. And so I ordered some Blackhorn. And unfortunately, my breech is too long and my little cone in it where, you know, you put your primer, it's, they don't make a breech or I couldn't find one if that would, that, that was short enough and, and allowed that powder to set close enough to the primer for it to go off. And so, yeah, man, I, I couldn't shoot the Blackhorn out of my muzzleloader. So I'm still shooting the triple seven, but yeah, Blackhorn is a, is probably the cleanest powder out there that I, that, that I've found. So the white hot pellets are awesome. Okay. I mean, it, you just drop two of them in there and you're done. Two pellets, so I, done. I, I don't know if I can use pellets in Colorado though. You got to look and see if you can or not. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the rules on that. I haven't, I've, I was wondering that myself this year because I was looking at doing a muzzleloader tag. So something to look at, but those white hot pellets, man, they are just, it's so simple with the Thorbolt, the white hot pellets. And I use like a Winchester primer, put that in together and go shoot Winchester oh, yeah. shotgun primer. Yeah, All right, be, so uh, you, really handy. Yeah. See, so you, you shake a lot when you shoot stuff. So keep going on this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, this is a great segue to jump into my, my <laughs> elk tag two, two seasons ago. I'll, I'll never get to live this down. So, you know, it took me three or four points to draw the tag and drew a trophy unit tag as they, as, as they define it in Colorado. There's some really good bulls in this unit. My father in law, you know, takes me up there. And, and like I said, I kind of married a professional guide or into a professional guide, which is kind of cool. And he's hunted this unit for 30 years. He pulls out this, this like tattered old topography map and everywhere he's ever found a wallow, anytime anybody's ever killed an elk or anytime anybody's ever killed a deer that's kind of in his close circle, it's marked on the map. And so this tattered old topography map is just littered with E's and D's and W's for, for, you know, the perspective wallows or animals that they've harvested in this unit. And, and you can almost see a pattern in it, which is kind of cool. And so we get out there and start hunting this unit. And, and the first couple of days, we didn't have much luck doing any calling or bugling or cow calls. And then it was like the third or fourth day we were there, everything, the stars lined up, the the elk are bugling you're laying in camp you can hear them i mean it, it, every, everything's just hot at that moment and so that next day we hike in and set up on a water hole or a wallow and did a little bit of calling and it wasn't probably 10 or 15 minutes later a nice bull comes in he wasn't a giant you know probably you, is it muzzleloader muzzleloader yeah, muzzle yeah muzzleloading as well okay. so um you know he comes in it's it's probably about 80 or 100 yards and uh, I shoot and I, we never found blood. We never found any sign. Like it was, it was like a, it was like, I never shot the animal. We couldn't find. So 
I'm not sure if I missed if the the animal if I hit it like high back or or what it was, but we looked for two or three days and we decided not to punch my tag is we couldn't found no sign, no birds, nothing. So after we searched and searched, we're like, all right, let's go try to find another bull. The very next day when we started hunting again, it was mid afternoon and my father-in-law is working this bull down in this Canyon and he's, he's coming up this Canyon to us. And we're in the dark timber. You can hear him crashing. He's at 200 yards. He's at 150. He's at 100 yards. You can start to see him moving through the dark timber. And I get set up on this tree. I'm standing up. I've got my gun rested on this branch on this tree on the trail that I think he's going to come, the line. And he's screaming his head off. And my father-in-law's behind me working this bull. And all of a sudden, I'll never forget this as long as I live. It's the most bone chilling experience I've ever had, but a bull screams right behind us. I mean, he had to be less than 50 yards. And so that bull, the bull that we called in was, was probably a satellite bull or a solo bull. And the bull that came in to him screaming to kind of challenge him ended up what we thought to be was the herd bull. I mean, he was probably a 300 plus inch bull giant comes in screaming right behind us. And my father-in-law, I hear him say, shoot the one behind us. And so I have to take my muzzleloader off of the, the limb, kind of pull it up and spin around to, to try to shoot this bull. And he's standing at probably, you know, 20 paces. And he's, he's right at us. And so I, you know, I put it center mass and I thought when I pulled the trigger, I was like, man, this bull's down right there. And uh, yeah, come to find out, man, I was shaking so bad. I was so nervous and so wound up. He's standing between two trees and I literally shot the tree that he was, that he was standing in between. And so the, the bull, the bull takes off running. My father-in-law is telling me to reload and I'm, I'm shaking so bad, this buck fever that I'm shooting a hundred grains of powder and I'm, I maybe got 40 grains of powder in the gun. I'm just, it's just going everywhere. So he, he hands me his gun. He's got a tag as well. And so we take off after this bull and, you know, we're looking for sign, we're looking for blood and, you know, lo and behold, we go back to the spot where I shot and we see that there is a 50 cal muzzleloader (laughs) bullet just right in that tree, man. And so, yeah, my trophy picture for that year was, was me standing next to the tree, you know, we, we ended up going home. We, we, we also had mule deer tags. So COVID kind of messed that year up in terms of my kind of every third year drawn a tag. So I actually drew a muzzleloader mule deer and a muzzleloader elk tag at the same time. And so we spent the last two days chasing mule deer and my father-in-law shot a really good mule deer up on the peaks. And then I was a little discouraged. I got a pretty good little father-in-law speech about, you know, it's, it's the fourth quarter. There's two minutes left in the ball game. You know, pick up the attitude. Go score a touchdown. Let's go get, let's go get a deer. And so I ended up being able to get a deer on that trip. So I, I brought meat, which was pretty great. But yeah, I, I missed out on on that big bull on on two big bulls actually three technically. And and uh, yeah, it was, I blame it all on the buck fever, man. My my father in law says he's he's never seen a, a a guy shake so bad. So you know that's that's what makes it exciting though. You know, I, I can't get that feeling doing anything else in life. So I, I keep going back. I can say when they're screaming that close to you, though, it is, it's like nothing else. You can feel it inside your bones. I mean, it, it does get you worked up. It, it does. does. It does. It does. And it, it's so cool to, 
you know, it's turkey hunting is a little bit that way in a sense, but it's so cool to be able to actually interact with, with the wildlife and be able to, you know, call them in and have that close interaction. It's, it's just, there's not a lot of animals that you get to hunt out there, especially big game animals that, that act like elk that get so fired up and, you know, they scream in their head off. It's just, it's an experience unlike any other that I've, that I've ever got to do. And so, yeah, man, I've, I've gotten bit by the bug bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you hear it all the time, but I mean, if you got to have sex one month a year, I guess you'd just go crazy. I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that's exactly right, man. I mean, imagine if all of our testosterone was pent up for a year. So you're, you're exactly yeah, you right. Get 11 months. It's the craziest thing is like they're best friends. Like they, they herd up together. They bachelor groups, same thing with deer bucks. I mean, they're all friends, but all of a sudden like that rut kicks off and they just want to kill each other. They do. They are. They are just trying to kill each other, and they do kill each other. They and do. then, and then everything comes. To, you know, kind of winds down mid October, and hey, man, sorry, let's go go hide in this hole back here. <laughs> they're all back together. Yeah, they're yeah, all back they, together again. And I don't know what yeah, came over me. Sorry about that. Yeah, I guess we could learn a thing from wildlife. Uh, you know, don't hold grudges. So it's kind of cool to see them see them all get back together in those bachelor groups at the end of the season. Awesome. Okay. So kind of wrapping it up, what do you got coming up? You got anything cool? Any kind of big hunts coming up? Or So this year, that's that's pretty much it. My high country mule deer hunt last week was was kind of my big tag for the year. I'm going to do a lot of whitetail hunting this year. I've got some some quail hunts and some waterfowl hunts that, that are coming up. I'm actually going to go dove hunting this weekend, get my dog out. You know, I try to stay busy in the outdoors during the fall. Unfortunately, you know, working in this industry, one of the downfalls is, is that, you know, when the stores are the busiest is kind of when I'm the busiest, you know, we're, we're, yeah. we're in stores trying to get reorders, trying to get fill-ins. And so I spend a lot of my time in the fall actually working and, you know, I got to pick up some fishing and stuff during the summer, during the slower times, but yeah, I've, I'll, I'll keep myself busy with some whitetail hunts and some quail hunts and dove hunts throughout the fall. So. Do you have anything planned, like any kind of more adventures planned, like those kind of like hunts? No, we, so we've got, we've got Alaska hopefully next year. Listening to your last podcast episode, it sounds like you and your previous guest had a similar experience. We kind of got burned. We had a, a hunt planned in Alaska for 2020. COVID happened. They shut the unit down. The outfitter actually, quote unquote, went out of business and said, thanks for all the money that you paid us. See you later. And fortunately, Another company bought them out and reached out to us earlier this year and said that we were due some we were due either our money back or, or the hunt. And so we were able to go this year if we wanted to to a different unit. We opted to let somebody else be the kind of the first group to go out. And so we, we're gonna go next year. We're really excited about it. That's an Alaska caribou hunt. We've been, you know, trying to get planned for the past four years now. So fingers crossed that all comes together. You know, I, I hope it all works out. I really do. But that's that's going to be the next big, big adventure. So, yeah, I can't wait to go. I definitely feel burned and a little bitter about the whole situation because, like we said, we didn't get our money back. And at least your guy's going to take you a different unit. We're not even, they won't even really return our phone calls at all. So it's just, you know, yeah, I don't know. We, the whole thing's kind of, I mean, got left a sour taste in my mouth. We were so excited to go to Alaska. You know, you, you save so long and you plan so long and you finally put it together and then. I understand the thing shutting down, but just the, the lack of response and cooperate, you know, they're not cooperating at all. You know, it's just basically, oh, sorry, you're out of luck and you can't have your money back, you know? 
Yeah, unfortunately, I, you know, and I, and I don't want to knock the industry or any outfitters at all. But I think that unfortunately, there's a lot of outfitters that don't necessarily run their business like a business. And, you know, cash flow is, is hard for them sometimes. And, and you get some questionable individuals in the industry and, and they don't make the best decisions that are a good outlook on our industry or what they do for a living. And so, you know, we had a very similar experience. But hopefully, this guy that, that bought them out will, you know, do a little better job and, and, fulfill our wishes. So, you know, again, fingers crossed it happens next year. What are your plans? Like what kind of tent are you going to run up there? Cause you're going to fly in, right? Fly in, get dropped yeah, off. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to fly in, man. To be honest, I got, I got some gear I got to get, you know, I've, I've, once our hunt kind of got postponed and then got canceled, I put off getting a lot of, of the gear that I wanted. So it is a drop camp. So they're supposed to be giving us and providing us with some of the gear there. Yeah. So I think that they provide, we're allotted 60 pounds per person of our gear. And then they provide the, the cots and the tents, you know, and they drop us off. We got to set them all up. But I believe that they are set on their website and he may have different equipment by the time we get there. But I think it was just the Cabela's six man outfitter tent, you know, two people per oh, perfect. per tent. So a little bit more room than, you know, like a Nemo or, or anything like that. So yeah, I'm planning on running a, a Hillenburg Namaj, like a three person. Yeah, those yeah. Hillenburg tents are just. I have two of them now. I've got an Anyan and a Namaj, and they are just incredible tents, man. I love them. Everything about them. You just stay dry. I've been in just ripping winds and rain and snow, and just wake up feeling great. So there, Hillenburg is a great tent if you got to buy one, and I recommend it. I want to go up there. I'm going to do this caribou hunt. And I really want to go up there and do a float trip. I want to go up there and do a float trip for moose really bad. It's high on my list. So that's like the adventure I really want to do before I get, I mean, I'm not old by any means. I'm 37, right? But I would love to go and go up there with all my boys and just float and hunt moose and try and get one. Yeah. Down. It just be, sounds yeah. incredible. That they, It's the adventure for me, right? And that's what really bummed me out about Alaska is I didn't get to go on that adventure. I didn't get to go up there and have the grizzly bears encounters. I didn't get to go up there and you know, be stuck out in the middle of nowhere for eight days. You know, I just, I wanted yep. that so bad and I hope it'll happen at some point. I'm going to make it happen. If I have to go pay for another one and go do a different area, I guess, but yeah, hopefully yeah, that man, one comes I, through because it's kind of stinks. Those, those moose, man, those are, those are cool animals. We, last week we actually got to help pack out my father-in-law's, one of his best friends, Colorado Shiras moose. So he, he drew a tag. It took him, you know, right at 30 years of putting in as a resident. There's not very many people that can say they got to pack out a Colorado moose. And so I got an experience with a moose last week, but man, they are nowhere near the size of, of the Alaska. Al- uh, yeah, the Alaska moose. We, uh, we've got a buddy, Darren and I, that went on a float trip and the two guys, one of them tagged out and got a moose and he sent us a picture of him sitting on top of it. And man, it's, it, you look at that and it's like, man, it's, it'd take almost two of you to pack out a ham on one of those things. They're giant animals. Oh yeah. Over a hundred pounds. Yeah. That, that, that says a lot about you, man. A lot of people would get a phone call and they'd probably send that guy to voicemail if they knew he had a moose tag. Cause that's a, that's not a fun <laughs> pack out. So good on no, you and your follow cool, for packing that's, that thing uh, out. Yeah. It was a cool experience, man. And it, and and again, like I said, being able to share the outdoors with others is is part of the whole experience, man. When when you get out there with with a good group of friends, family, whatever it is, and you know you get to see God's beauty, you get to see God's creation, and and you know everybody's got a good attitude and kind of suffering through it together. It just makes it that much more enjoyable. Makes you want to go back next year. Gotcha. Well, with that said, great podcast. Uh, where can we find you at? Do you want people to find you? 
Yeah, sure. You know, I'm, I'm not crazy active on social media, but I am on social media. Look me up on Instagram, Brent Vogler, B-R-E-N-T-B-O-G-L-E-R. You know, if you add me on Facebook, I probably won't accept your friend request, but you can follow me on, on Instagram if you want. I post some, some hunting stories and pictures every now and again. So yeah, more importantly, man, follow Drew at Tricer. They make the best, the best <laughs> tripods. Dude. We found some big deer last week using a, a Tricer, man. And I tell you what, you reinvented the, the most obvious wheel ever with the tripod game. I mean, you think about it, a pyramid, the big sections on bottom, right? That's where all the weight's at. You know, every tripod you look at on the market, you've uh, you got the skinny legs on the bottom and that's not how they should be. I mean, you make a, a fantastic, lightweight, stable tripod. So thanks for being an awesome manufacturer and making a great product. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's nice having guys like you say that, you know, it's, I can say it till, you know, my face turns blue, but the great thing is, is all you guys out there hunting deer and elk and caribou and all this stuff and they're using this stuff and and everyone's seeing it and when you do hold it it's just, it's kind of selling itself now it's our organic sales have just been through the roof the last couple of months because everyone's really starting to get out in the field and they're putting their photography tripod next to their buddy who has a tricer they're just like i gotta go buy a tricer <laughs> that's awesome man that's awesome it's cool yeah, in 2024 we got some really cool stuff coming out too so i'm excited for that so we got well, we're just getting I'll started be, with tricer I'll, i can't wait man i'll be a consumer you make a great product awesome Thanks, Brent, man. What a great podcast. Awesome, Drew. Thanks for having me on. God bless. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. And talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Tricer Podcast. Do us a favor and like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Tricer USA. And go and check out all of our innovative gear at www.tricerusa.com. Until next time, shoot straight, have fun, and always put God first.